springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers! Welcome back to Time to Adapt, the show where we break down movies and the books behind them. It's been a while. It's been much too long. How are you all doing? Selena, how are you doing? I'm good. You're good? That's what I tell myself. (laughs) I mean, same. (laughs) No, not to be true, but yeah, I'm good. It... I'm excited about today's episode because we're doing another Michael Crichton. We talked about a good Michael Crichton adaptation, and I tried really hard not to shit my pants out of excitement because I love Jurassic Park and dinosaurs. So today we're talking about not so good one. The one that was so bad that Crichton took a, like rescinded the rights to any of his oh yeah source material from then on till his death. Yeah, he just harded out. He was like, nope, no more. No more chances him. of fucking I don't it up him at all. Same, honestly. Like We're they talk- destroyed the an interesting story, and they made it so frozen land and boring. Like they've done to so many other great products. We're talking about timeline today. Great book, shitty movie. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, so we chose it because. We wanted to highlight a good, like, see the juxtaposition between a good Crichton adaptation and a bad one. Yes. So, let's go into what timeline's about. Yes. So, So, oh, do you want to go? Sure. You take this. (laughs) (laughs) So, it tells the story of a group of uh, history students who, in... In a nutshell, they traveled to 14th century France using quantum quantum technology uh, to rescue their professor in the Dordogne region of France. And it starts off with them. Um, they're they're at this site in France, and they open up like an, they, they they find an opening, and they get in there, and they find a pair of spectacles, um, and they realize that these aren't invented for another like 300 400 years. So why the hell what the hell is it doing in this medieval 
architectural site. Yeah, and then they're freaking out. During this part in the book, they're freaking out like, well, shit, what was our site contaminated? Um, but then they find evidence of... They see a letter that was also on the site from the professor saying, help me, but it's dated to the 14th century. So their professor was on the site, and then somebody had like started asking questions about the people who were funding their expedition. And then he started thinking about it, because like, the, the company that uh, finances them, ITC, um, they give them a lot of money, and they ask a lot of questions. And like even the professor's like, what, what the fuck is all this about? So he flies to uh, Arizona. I believe it is. Uh, New Mexico. New Mexico. He Arizona, flies, like, the book starts the in book Arizona. The book starts in Arizona with a guy who... Who works at the company, but you see, you kind of get a glimpse of... It opened... It, the prequel is basically of this former employee dying in the desert because he's taken too many time travel... Time, time trips. Time trips. To the point where it's like... Where his veins no longer align. It's called... Uh, I can't remember what they call it in the book, but he's basically... He doesn't align anymore. His body doesn't align. So he basically just... Basically... Dies vomits. from the inside out. Yeah, it's really nasty how he dies. Yeah. He basically just starts vomiting and shaking and just spewing blood everywhere. Very yeah. So... These students... So these students... Um, there's the, the, the graduate students. There's Chris Hughes, Kate Erickson, Andre Marek, and, Dave, and David Stern. They um, go to ITC to find the founder, Robert Donier who tells them that, oh, yeah, we uh, sent your your, te- your teacher back to 1357. Like, what? Like, let me show you. <laughs> and they go through exactly how they're able to do it. So they dress up, they go into this machine, and then, bam, they're in 1357. Once they're there, they immediately split up. Well, because... Um, They're in the middle of a battle, basically. Well, there's a raid going on Mm -hmm. by some of the knights, and so their guides get immediately killed. One of them tries to go back, um, but while he's going back, he has a grenade in his hand, and he destroys the machines on the modern side. He he breaks breaks the rule and brings back, like, modern um, technology. Modern technology. And so it breaks the machine, and they're stuck back there, and they only have... Like what? They have thirty six hours to find the professor and get back before they're stuck there forever. Yeah, and they have no idea that the machine is broken. So in the meantime, they, so they think they're fine um, on their side. So they're still just trying to understand the landscape and get uh, find the professor and deal with this new culture that they're thrust into. Um, while on the modern, I guess the current time. Back in New Mexico, they're freaking the fuck out because they're like, um... Shit. Everything's broken. (laughs) Everything is awful. What are we going to do? So the thing... The big thing that carries this story is the time crunch. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, each chapter begins with, like, how many hours are left? How many minutes? How many seconds? And as the book goes down, it's like more of a race against time to see if they can manage to get the professor... And make it out alive. Uh, so a lot of events happen where they're just running back and forth between... Because the time that period that they jump into is a very tumultuous one. Uh, they're basically an area where a river divides 
where kind of the English forces are and the French forces are. So they have to kind of negotiate their way between these two warring countries and the, the lords who are in charge of that area. Also, there's a siege that's about to happen, so it's like a lot of shit's going on. Mm-hmm. So, the, in a nutshell, they, go, they find their professor, and the way that he's able to survive is he's kind of come up with this scheme of like making um, all of the, the higher-ups in the, the castle, which it's under English control at the mo- that moment, right? Or was it under French control? I can't remember. Exactly. Uh, English. It's under English control. And he's convinced the king, or the, the person, yeah, the king was there, mm-hmm. that he knows how to make Greek fire. Now, those of you who don't know, Greek fire was something that was... It's basically napalm, but cooler. Yeah. And <laughs> well, like, an ancient version of napalm. Yeah. And, like, to this day, nobody knows how it's made. So Kind of. Kind of, yeah. Um, there's like more modern versions of it, but nothing like that, that. Nothing that fits the eyewitness accounts that were written down that state what Greek fire could do, mm-hmm. which is pretty badass if you look. Oh, it it's a super badass like siege weapon. But he's mad at. But um, he manages to help them create um, a sort of. Um, I think it was like an arrow that he like shoots out that, mm-hmm. that the uh, the their bowmen shoot out. And then it fire. catches on fire. It catches on fire and it like create it like creates it explodes and it causes a fire you can't put out by water. It, water it spreads, spreads it. it. Yeah. It's so um, as yeah. So towards the end, uh, they find that there's one person who's been left back there because he's had so many transcription errors. That's when the like they start glitching the humans because they've had too many trips. And he's kind of just insane, and he wants to go back whether or not he dies or not. So he kind of throws a wrench in their plans a lot of the times to just get to the... What do they call... I can't remember. The the gate thingies to Mm. let them go back. The gatekeepers? No, the thing... You know, the things that they go back to time travel. Oh, the little, um... I know. The wrist thingies that, yeah, the that wrist basically thingies. call call the machine back to them so yeah. then they can travel back. Also, on the other side, um, the main dude who owns ITC... Robert Donier. Uh, yeah. He basically created this so then he could do commercial, like, traveling. So people, like... As tourism, a, basically. Tourism, yeah. So basically historical tourism. Yeah. So... Obviously, that goes to shit uh, because it's super dangerous. People are dying because they've traveled too much. And in the end, um, one of the main characters, Andre, who's uh, he's an expert in the era, he decides that he's going to stay back. Um, and then Doniger is uh, he gets sent back because they're just like, well, fuck you. Because everyone makes it back except for Andre. Andre they, decides to stay back. And yeah. Andre decides to stay back because he's more comfortable in that time. Because he, he's like, he's studied all the stuff. He knows what, 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 what life he is like. He speaks the languages. Or he speaks it... He's basically sp- a badass. Yeah. <laughs> he speaks it better than... Um, or, I mean, like, nobody knows how to... Um, speak the exact language. One of the cool things in the book um, is that 
they have like listening devices because back during medieval times, the languages sounded very different than what they are what they are now. So they had Middle English back th- back then, which sounds very different than what it is now. The same for Middle French, and Andre knows the stuff. He he's, <laughs> he knows a little bit more about what the languages were like back then. So he's a lot more happy about that. And that's something that in the book makes perfect sense because they explain that they have little earpieces. They know what they're saying. Yeah, in the but movie, we're gonna get into that. Later. Well, we're, we're gonna get into the movie soon because like. Basically, once the professors, the professor and the students come back, it becomes clear that Doniger uh, has literal little regard for the lives of the travelers and the researchers and engineers send him back to 1348, which is the outbreak of the plague. And that's kind of like the first ending of the book is where... He he's the one that created this technology, which sounds really cool in theory, but is very very flawed. They use his technology to kill him. Yeah. So in um, the book, they send they they send him back because they're sent back, and they're like exhausted and just like horrified. What the fuck have you done to us? And at that point, Robert is like, on his way to explain to, like, a share to an investor's meeting where he's going to, like, tell them all about, oh, this whole new thing about historical time travel and how we can make it, like, a tourist thing. And they're just like, are you fucking kidding me? After everything we went through, after everything we saw, are you kidding me? So they throw him into the machine and send him back to... When the Black Death... When, when the Black Death... In the same area, Castelgar. But, but only a few years... Uh, like, a, like, a, like a hundred years earlier. Yeah. In which there was the Black Death. And he, he puts together... Okay, I'm not in... They mention that there are like certain places where they've they've taken the machine. Like, they mentioned... Uh, they saw the, Lincoln speak and... They went to the Tunguska Blast in Siberia. They've... Um, do a few more other things. I think... Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember exact ones. Um, but they send him back to basically Black Death, the time of the Black Death. And he gets, he like runs into a group of um, people who are like carrying out dead bodies. And then immediately he starts coughing and he realizes. And that's kind of when it ends where he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. So um, Black and then, Death was not fun. Yeah. And then the epilogue is uh, the students and professor find the grave of Eric um, of, of Andre and Merrick. I was trying to say Andre and Merrick at the same time and Andre. Eric. <laughs> For some reason I keep thinking Andre 3000. <laughs> of Andre 3000. They find the grave of Andre and they just 3000. Find a, and they just fig- see On his how tombstone. You... Hey! Uh... <laughs> I'm awful. I'm sorry. That's stupid. <laughs> Shake it like a Polaroid picture. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Dude, that'd be an awesome headstone. <laughs> Rest in peace, Selena Allen. Shook it, it like a, she <laughs> shook it like a Polaroid picture. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, Andre lived a happy life. Anyways, let's, we try to keep it short, but we went longer on how talking about the book. Yeah, um, so the movie... Oh my god. So the book was published in 19, November of 1999. And almost immediately... Um, the, the rights were bought, and the movie came out in 2003. So the film was directed by Richard Donner, 
who most people know is the director of The Goonies, as well as a few other. Um, he, I think he wrote, he directed uh, Diner, which was a really, really great um, film, 80s, 80s film. Um, oh, yeah, he directed the original Superman and The Omen. So he's made a lot of really, really great stuff. Um, oh, he directed Lady Hawk, which is one of my favorites, one of my, my family's favorites. He directed Lethal Weapon. <laughs> I love this. If you look at his Internet Movie Database page, his top movies are Superman, Lady Hawk, Lethal Weapon, and Timeline. That's a shame. That's a very dirty, dirty shame. Well, the reason probably why... Well, we'll get into like the cast and just how... The production of the film. Um, but let's finish up with the book. So, yeah. So, this... It follows Crichton's long history of combining technical details and action in his books, addressing quantum and multiverse theory. He always dives into just different science theories and just... It's definitely... It's speculative fiction, where it's definitely the what-if, um, which this book clearly is. It's like, what if we could time travel, but wait, what if <laughs> it was just for like, historical tourism? Yeah. Um, yeah, the novel also grasped the attention um, of scholars of medievalism since Crichton's praises since Crichton praises Norman Cantor's 1999 Inventing the Middle Ages as a central influence on how he characterized academic research on the medieval past. Uh, Crichton's narrative seems to support Cantor's notion that the work of academic medievalists amounts to little more than subjective reinventions of the medieval era. Basically just saying, we don't really know <laughs> how anything was back then. Yeah. So, it was, so the film was starred, the film stars Paul Walker, Francis O'Connor, Gerard Butler, Billy Connolly, David Thelwiz, I can't know if I said that right. Sorry, David. And Anna Friel. It is, um, the score was, the original score was done by Jerry Goldsmith, who did Ellie Confidential, Total Recall, the score to Legend. And, um, it would be his last before he died in 2004. The score was replaced by Brian Tyler. Um, after the first cut was re-edited and mm -hmm. his health problem and Goldsmith's increasing health problems, he couldn't continue working on it. Um, some of the some there's there's a lot of really great things that went into the production itself. Yeah, the whole all the heart <laughs> and effort they put into trying to make this a like a historical or feel real. It just got lost in got, the script and everything else. It got lost else. in the script and just, like, all bad reshoots. Because the battle sequences, they used medieval reenactors, so they were comfortable with those um, types of scenes. Um, but because Richard Donner limited the use of CGI in the film as much as possible. Which I appreciate. I'm like, I'm all about that live-action shit. Yeah. But. So, Crichton took the unusual step of offering up the film rights for free... Um, provided the movie entered into production immediately, and he had a back-end deal set up on the basis that the script be used for the film. Um, but when the film came out, he disliked the movie so much that he refused to license any more movies based off of his novels. No one would gain the movie rights to a Michael Crichton book until 
after Crichton's death, when Steven Spielberg, who was a longtime friend, had bought up the rights to Pirate Latitudes. Which I'm still waiting for, because that's a great book. It's a great book, and I'm really excited to read that someday. <laughs> read that. It's a great book, but I, mean, I haven't read it. I mean, see it. I would love to see that book someday. I, I want to see that book now. I want to see that movie. To, Matt, hear me out. I have a paperback copy. I stole it from my dad's collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically, we, we'll just dive into why this movie's shitty. Why it sucks. First of all, okay, casting... Not horrible, but why did... Like, Paul Walker, you're basically just... Like, he was basically just good at Fast Paul, and Furious. you live by the cars, you die by the cars. Too soon. <laughs> Be appropriate. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. But... That was a terrible joke. Yeah, that was too fast for me and too furious of me. I'm awful today. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, surprisingly, like, I've always... Like, I like Francis O'Connor and Gerard Butler, not because I just, like, fancied him, like, when the movie came out. Yeah. Like, I was biased back then. Now I can look back and be like, "Mm, Gerard Butler, do something better. Yeah. I mean, you could tell he's having fun with all these Oh, yeah. Like, how is it not fun to go on a set and swing around fake swords all day? I want to do that. But I don't want to act. But I just want to do that. (laughs) Like... Being I mean, it's far from Gerard Butler's more questionable film choices. Oh, definitely. Gods of Egypt. Uh, oh, the bounty hunter. We don't talk about that. Uh, we don't talk about Gods of Egypt either. Actually, I... Don't say you like it. I kind of liked it. It was kind of fun. Don't kill me! <laughs> Out of my house. <laughs> Blasphemy. So... The film was originally slated to be released in the fall of 2002, but the studio wasn't happy with Richard Donner's cut. It included a prologue that probably explained the disappearance of the professor in the film and contained the original score by Jerry Goldsmith. So the studio forced Donner to recut the film and asked Goldsmith to edit down his score. Well, he couldn't because he was, he was dying, basically. So another, the second release was going to be March 2003. But the head of Paramount, Sherry Lansing, was again unhappy with the second cut and said, just get rid of the Billy Connolly prologue. And Which would have been helpful because Would have been a lot more helpful. It would have it wouldn't have like saved the film. It would have, it would have saved it for mediocrity. Under- yeah. My thing with this film is that it's not an awful movie and it's not an amazing movie. It's just a movie. It's and it's, bo- it's very boring. forgettable. It's, it's boring and I totally for- forget that I saw it. I forgot after that we, I saw after it. we watched it, like two hours later, like, oh yeah, we watched Timeline, didn't we? That was a waste of time. <laughs> so that was a little, no, I was gonna make a stupid joke, and now it doesn't make any sense. So we're moving on. Yeah. Just okay. The things that this film did wrong didn't un, like didn't explain at all why they were there. Like, who was really funding the dig? Also, why the professor disappeared. They were just like, well, he's gone. La-di-da-di-da. And then... La-di-da-di-da. Uh, they also, when they finally made it into 14... Shit. The 14th century. Um, 14 shit. I can't remember the date. I know. Uh, <laughs> patience with me. I'm trying. I, I know you are. <laughs> but yeah, when they finally made it uh, back in time... Everyone speaking normal, like, modern English. Yeah. 
first of all, they're in France. It would have been Middle French. And if you think French is hard to learn, wait till you hear <laughs> Middle French. No, but just in the, book, in the book, it makes sense. Like, okay, obviously language changes over time, so they would need a device to understand. They're just like, no, language stays the same the whole time. And it's not like a historical movie where it's like, well, we're going to have everyone speak modern English so everyone understands what the fuck is going on. Like, this movie is about people from the modern age modern going, age going the in the past. So there should be more of a distinction between the two. Rather, It felt like they went to a Ren Fair where people actually died. Yeah. Ren Fair gone wrong. That's what the movie should be called. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't actually go back in time. They went to like an alternate <laughs> world where it's just uh, like a, a Renaissance fair. Where the stakes are far more high. It's a bad episode of the Twilight Zone where they go to, where they're stuck in a rent fair that they don't want to be in. I say no, it, it feels <laughs> and people like, die. It feels like that or like a bad Doctor Who episode in certain extent. Oh. Like post Matt Smith. Like post Matt Smith. Like so, like peak bad Stephen Moffat. Fuck Stephen Moffat. I have so much rage. I have so much respect toward. for Peter Capaldi. He tried so hard. He did the, He did the most. He was trying so hard. I love him as an actor, and I was excited for him because I'm like, he can make this better. Okay, we're getting we're sidetracked. We're getting off track. <laughs> yeah. We like Doctor Who, sort of. I, I loved Doctor Who. It was one of my biggest heartbreaks. <laughs> mm. So, anyway... <laughs> Yeah. So, when the movie came out, of course, it got panned by almost everyone. Everyone hated it. And it only recouped $43 million of a budget of $80 million. So that was disgraceful. The film has currently added 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it states it is incoherently plotted <laughs> addition to the time travel genre looks and sounds cheesy. Most female characters in the book were cast as male in the film Kramer Gomez, The Doctor... And Lady Claire, who's a huge part in the book, loses all influence on the plot. Oh, yeah. She basically kind of orchestrated some events, um, manipulated main characters to her benefit. Because she's, from the time she's a widow, she's trying to survive in this super violent world. And, yeah. She, I don't know, she's a badass, but also, like, you kind of don't like her because you're like, damn, you gotta do some fucked up shit. Yeah. But. So, they made a lot of changes regarding um, Doniger's company um, and the time-traveling device in the novel. People and objects are sent to any location in time, unlike in the movie where they are locked to 1317, 13, 13, 1357. Yeah, which defeats the purpose of the whole fucking company. Yeah. Sorry. I'm I just, mean, like, I can't, a can little see- perturbed about this because I really liked the book. Like, I was a fan. I love this medieval shit. I like time travel. Fucking Mike and Crichton. And then, this film that should have been good. Don't laugh at me, Mac. (laughs) No, no, no. No, keep going. You're great. You're doing great. You're doing great. I I need to stop the rant before, before I get too worked up. I need to stay calm. Yes. So... It's Doniger himself is also much darker and actually is hinted at oh, as that an un- unwanted or rogue employees can be given markers and sent to places in time for them to die, such as Pompeii or the Great Kanto Earthquake. His death is... We, we kind of went into his death in the book. Um, yeah, but... Well uh, in, they, the movie, in the movie, this is what happens. 
They get sent back. Once everyone gets sent back, then they're like, you know what? Fuck that guy. They throw Doniger in the machine, and they send him back like five minutes later when he's in the middle of a fight, when there's in the middle of a fight, and he just gets decapitated. And they don't even show the decapitation. Yeah, Come you on. see someone ri- like riding towards him with the sword, and then you see his eyes grow big, and that's like, basically oh. it. <laughs> It's bum, just bum, bum. they make him seem kind of just like a clueless scientist dude. Whereas in the book, he's super calculating. He's such an asshole. He's like, I will murder people, so my company is for like number one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like he murders people. So without second thought, like he thinks about. He's like, well, if we can't get the f- machines fixed, well then leave them back there. Yeah. But then because. Of some people who are left in the present fighting for the uh, the students to be like, no, we got to get them back. He's like, well, I guess if it doesn't cost us, you know, being whiny, whatever. Yeah. So as we can, as we've said before, we we love the book. It would. I had a, so much fun reading this book. I would one hundred percent recommend it to people. Like if you are a fan of speculative fiction, any sort of science fiction that deals or. If you're a fan of, like, medieval or, like, historical dramas, like, you kind of get a mix of everything. Yeah. And I just had, like, a lot of fun because it, it felt kind of like... It, it, the book feels like an action movie. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the countdown really helps out with that. You understand what's on the line. Oh, you're stressed. Oh, yeah, you were Like, so towards the end, you're like, holy fuck, like... They literally have one minute, and they have to run across a giant-ass field yeah. to get to the machines. Will they make it? We don't. And then so. Chris is fucking dawdling at the end, just like, Merrick, will you come? And he's like, well, I don't know. Let me think about it. It's like, you got ten seconds! You son of a bitch. <laughs> so, it could have been... The movie, the movie could have been so great if they handled it correctly. And it sounds like... If out they, there, if out they there did somewhere, what they did, like, one... We we said this uh, earlier though, like if why uh, Jurassic Park was so great is in part Michael Crichton wrote the script. Yeah, wrote he co-wrote the script. Mm-hmm. If those the writers of this film had taken a leaf out of his book, this would have been like a hundred times better. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. If Michael Crichton actually co-wrote on this, this would be like. And if they're beautiful, I, yeah, and I think a spicy meatball, spicy meatball. <laughs> I think out there somewhere there is a good cut. I, I want to see the original cut that Donner turned in. I would like to see that too. It's not. I'm sure it doesn't fix all the problems, but it would certainly make the film a little more enjoyable. I feel mm-hmm. so. It's a bad adaptation because of studio interference and because of just bad writing and bad screenwriting. Is it so terrible hard, pacing? People? It's just like. And the biggest question I get out Visually, of Visually, it's not terrible to look at. No. It's just boring. And the biggest question, why is Gerard Butler so fucking hot? Well, I don't know, actually. You'd have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> not think, now, okay. though. He hasn't aged as big. Oh, I don't know. I think he still looks kind of cute. He looks... Okay. He looks kind of nice, but for me, like... He's kind of got, was, he's kinda got very, that greasy look right now, that kind of yeah, gritty look. Yeah, and I'm not about that. I'm more about, like, younger Gerard Butler, where I'm like... King Leonidas. No, that was, like... His abs scared me. That was a little too much. <laughs> I was like, damn, you could knock somebody out with just your titty. 
<laughs> like, bam! I see that. Boom! Just... <laughs> I mean, when I think of him, I think of Phantom of the Opera, because that's when I first got him. That's when I got Same. him. Same. Also... Kind of sexually awoken, but that's uh, <laughs> that's another story. Everybody, that just so you know, that's when... <laughs> that's when I started to question my sexuality. <laughs> anyway, so... We want to thank you again for all listening, and we have a great next episode coming up for you. We're going to go into the realm of fantasy and kind of have a lighthearted book with a very lighthearted and fun adaptation. Yeah, it's basically the... It's fun all around. Yes, all around. So, thank you everyone for listening, and until next time... This has been Time to Adapt. The Home Depot has very good news for your lawn. It's called Scott's Thicker Lawn. Right now, from only $19.98 a bag, Thicker Lawn is a three-in-one mixture of seed, fertilizer, and soil improver, perfectly formulated for thicker lawns and happier lawn owners. So spread the word for up to a 50% thicker lawn after just one application. Today is the day for doing with Scott's Thicker Lawn from only $19.98 a bag. Now at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Selection varies by store.